The presenting sponsor for this season of Wild Ideas Worth Living is Ford. Their 2021 Ford Bronco Sport is the SUV that'll get you to your outdoor adventures. It's an off-road SUV built for the thrill seeker, the sightseer, and the day tripper. This SUV has many available features to help you get to your destination. With enough ground clearance, off-roading capabilities, and purposeful design that includes easy to clean surfaces and plenty of interior space, this SUV is your gateway to the outdoors. The Ford Bronco Sport is equipped to help you get out there, to the mountain ranges, the woodland trails, and to the coast. You can learn more about what the Bronco Sport has to offer at Ford.com or in our show notes. Running can take us places. Running can introduce us to people we never would have met before. Running can teach us things about ourselves that we may never have had the chance to even explore. It can build confidence. It can break us down. It can do all of these different things and ultimately running gets us what we need. Running is one of those sports that can seem really intimidating. As a runner, even I'm intimidated when I meet people who do ultra marathons or Ironman triathlons. But running doesn't have to be competitive or even intense. It can actually be fun and peaceful. It can be a mental pause from an otherwise busy day, an opportunity to get outside and breathe fresh air. And my favorite thing about it you don't have to be a professional athlete. All you need are your own two feet, preferably some decent shoes in a road, a trail, or my favorite, an open stretch of sand. Dr. Susan Lakey certainly isn't one of those intense runners. In fact, before Susan became an athlete, she was pretty much the opposite. A heavy drinker and a pack-a-day smoker with no motivation to exercise. I'm Shelby Stanger, And this is Wild Ideas Worth Living. Susan's journey into running was certainly unconventional. She never played sports, and she wasn't the type of person to jump out of bed in the morning and just go for a jog. But ironically, Susan studied health and wellness, and she ended up getting her doctorate in health education. She's now a college professor and a professional writer. She also happens to be deaf. In the past, doing a podcast interview was something that was just logistically challenging. Susan Lakey, welcome to Wild Ideas Worth Living. Thank you for having me. You know, I think this is going to be a really fun conversation. And, um, you know, I love that we can do that over a video call. You know, um, in the past, I guess probably pre-pandemic, um, the way that I would do podcasts would be that we would have to record separately because I'm deaf and I read lots. So doing podcasts is not something that comes naturally to me. But now, with the pandemic, all of this video conferencing software has come out with captions, and it's made that so much easier and so much more fun so that we can have these really great conversations. So this is a first for me, and 
for the people listening right now in your car or wherever you're listening to this podcast, we're talking over Microsoft Teams and there's captions. So she's able to see me, read my lips and read the captions below. So I better not mess up. <laughs> but I think there's a lot of pressure there, but it's also it's really hard to mess up. Well, thank you, because I sort of have a love-hate relationship with video conferencing, but now I'm realizing it can be really useful. Absolutely. You know, it's been a real game changer for me. It was interesting because at the beginning of the pandemic, I was really scared that I was going to lose work because as a writer, a lot of my work involves interviewing people. And before, that that meant I had to physically travel to the people for a story. Um, now, I don't have to do that anymore. And I was scared when the pandemic shut down travel. Like, I'm not going to be able to do stories. I'm not going to be able to write. I'm going to lose money. And in reality, it turned out that I'm actually able to do more work because I have these new avenues opened up to me. And I know we we like to bitch and moan about how hard video conferencing is. And you have to, you know, put on makeup and wear pants and all of that. It's horrible. But at the same time... You don't time, have to wear pants. <laughs> it, well, I, I put on pants for you because you're fancy. But it's amazing, though, that we can talk to people who are on the other side of the world. And how lucky are we that we get to live in this time where that's possible? As a writer, Susan talks to athletes all over the world. She's written two books about running, and she's an endurance sports journalist. But Susan didn't envision this career for herself. It all began when she started a new teaching job 15 years ago. I really want to talk about this book that you wrote, the title, Life's Too Short to Go So Effing Slow. The description is brilliant. She was a young, overweight college professor with a -a pack-a-day habit and a bad attitude. He was her boss and an accomplished Ironman triathlete. She was a whiner. He was a hard-ass. I'm looking at you. You're a badass triathlete and you studied health. So how did you get to be a -a pack-a-day? Like, I don't, I don't, how did that happen? So I haven't always been an endurance athlete. And so when I was in graduate school, um, you know, I picked up some really bad habits. And it's funny because even though, yes, I was studying health, um, the area of focus I was in was actually human sexuality. I thought I wanted to go and um, go to Africa and help with the AIDS crisis there. So I basically ignored the stuff about don't smoke and, you know, you should exercise and eat salad. I I just kind of shut that off to the side, like, yeah, 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 that's good advice, but not for me. And so when I became uh, a full-time college professor, I I was pretty stressed out, and I was coping with that stress in some obviously poor ways. Um, I had this boss, though, who, as you Uh, just pointed out with the complete opposite of me. You know, he was uh, 19 years older than me, and um, he was uh, actually an immigrant from Mexico who basically achieved the American dream. You know, he went to school, he became a a doctor, a college professor, and a really 
highly respected in his field. And so he had his foot together, I did not. And so I spent the first few weeks, months of my new job as a professor avoiding him because we were so different. I mean, this guy would sneak out between classes and meetings to go swim laps in the campus pool. It was so, it, we, we did not have anything in common. But one day, I'm sitting outside my office having a cigarette, and my boss, Carlos, sits down next to me. And he looks at me, he's like, mind if I have a drag? And I was completely shocked because I'm thinking, this guy smokes? Like, what's happening here? But he was my boss, so I wasn't going to argue. I just handed him (laughs) my cigarette, and I watched it, and he took it between his fingers and then stubbed it out in the ashtray. And he said, you don't need that shit. Come on, let's get some coffee. Bold move, right? But that was the start of the friendship where he very, very gradually got to know me. And he would start asking questions like, well, why do you smoke? And I said it was because I'm stressed out. And he said, well, if you're stressed, why don't you come swimming with me in the pool? Now, mind you, I'm just like, you know, deaf, overweight, alcoholic, packaged smoker, and swimming laps was not something that I was ever going to do. But again, he was my boss, and what are you supposed to do? When your boss invites you to go swimming, you go swimming. So um, very gradually, he just kept putting these opportunities in front of me to make healthier decisions. He never intentionally said, you need to quit smoking. He never said, you have to lose weight. He never said, um, you know, sign up for an Iron Man. He never did that. He just kind of suggested that there might be a better way. Over the years, we became friends because we were trained together. He mentored me, and he taught me everything I needed to know about triathlon, especially when I signed up for an Iron Man, not realizing what a fall Iron Man would entail. Um, for example, I didn't even own a bike. Um, I I had never run more than a half marathon when I signed up. Like, I had no idea what I had gotten myself into. And so when I told him I signed up for an Ironman, he's like, what were you thinking? And, you know, there's something that happens when you train with somebody. It's different from other friendships. I think it's because we're just too tired to put that guard up, right? Like, we can't pretend to be something we're not when we're that exhausted. So I really learned a lot about what friendship was in that that relationship with Carlos. And um, the table turned, and I guess in a way I got to repay that favor when he was diagnosed with stage 4 cancer. It was a different type of endurance event for both of us. Carlos unfortunately passed away five years ago. And uh, as he was in hospice dying from cancer, I kind of got panicked and I thought, you know, he's taught me all of these lessons and I'm so scared I'm going to forget them, right? And so I just started writing them down, just random thoughts here and there. I would type notes into my phone or drop them down on little little scraps of paper um, just because I was so scared I was going to forget everything he had taught me. And someone said, you know, you really need to turn this into a book. And that became like too short to go so fucking slow. Wow. I didn't know the whole story. And thank you for making me have tears in my eyes. But it's beautiful. What are what are some of the biggest lessons he taught you that you carry with you today? You know, uh, the major difference between Carlos and myself 
was that even though I'm stubborn, I'm not tenacious. Um, Carlos was tenacious. He would basically schedule the hardest workout in the worst conditions, and he would say, you really have to put yourself through the paces in training so that you don't get phased on race day. So, you know, he would go out on the hardest days for training. He would go swim in the biggest waves he could find. Um, meanwhile, I'm over here saying, I'm good in the pool. So getting uncomfortable was something that was not familiar for me. And when you are friends with a guy like Carlos Nunez, you will be uncomfortable a lot. He will push you. And at first I thought it was because he was trying to torture me. Now, in hindsight, I see it because he believed in me. He never put me in a situation that I couldn't handle. And how lucky am I to have that, you know? And I've tried to be that person now for others in my life, to make them uncomfortable in ways that is not punishment, it's not torture, but simply, I believe in you. And that, that was the biggest lesson that I learned from Carlos. So it sounds like he changed you mentally and physically, but I'm really curious, you know, I imagine that training, especially for an Ironman, is grueling. And there had to have been moments where you wanted to give up. How did you get through those moments? Like, what was it? You know, fear is an incredible motivator. And I have this really bad habit of leaping and then kind of putting together my parachute as I'm falling. I don't always understand what I'm getting myself into. Uh, I just do the stupid thing and hope for the best. And um, it served me well over the years. But, you know, I, I think that when we put ourselves in a situation where we're scared of, you know, looking stupid, we're scared of failure, we're scared of whatever it is, it can really put us to say, well, I better train for this then, you know? So I know that's not true for everybody. For some people, the fear can be so big and so um, so terrifying that it's paralyzing, really. But for me, I've always felt like failure is not an option. And especially because I'm a woman and I'm a woman with a disability, I already feel like people are kind of expecting me to fail. And I am going to do everything in my power to prove all of you wrong. And so when things get tough, that's really the thing that keeps me going. And I don't want to say I have haters because that's not true. I really don't have haters. But I also know that there are a lot of people out there who would not be surprised if I failed. Um, you know, they would say women can't handle this or, you know, it's okay, it's too hard for somebody who's deaf to do this. And it really makes me a perfectionist. And so it works in my favor, but it also works against me sometimes. Um, so I have to be really careful about walking that line. That kind of hits home for me. I love to prove the haters, even the ones in my own head, wrong. And yes, it's made me successful and it's also caused me pain. Any tips on how you deal with that, that balance? 
it used to be that I would deal with it by drinking a lot. Um, I don't recommend going that route. Right now, I am learning that I need to set some boundaries for myself. Part of the reason why I love endurance sports is because I want to see what my limits are. So I go sometimes too far in trying to find those limits or in trying to, I guess, out-stubborn my, my limitation. I haven't been successful when I'm trying to be too stubborn. Um, I, I often go too far um, physically, emotionally, mentally. Um, and so over the years, I've had to learn to respect my body when I'm saying, hey, you're getting to that edge, you know? And so perspective um, and also therapy um, gives you a lot of a lot of insights into where your body's limitations are. Um, and, and that's a work in progress for me, for sure. There's a fine line between pushing yourself and respecting your body's limits. Susan seems to have found a healthy balance between the two. Part of that has been adjusting her expectations of what it means to be a, quote, real runner. When we come back, Susan talks about how to take on a big challenge like an Ironman and why running is for everybody. This episode is brought to you by Hoka One One, one of the fastest growing footwear brands in history. Conceived in the mountains, Hoka Footwear delivers an unprecedented combination of enhanced cushioning and support for a uniquely smooth ride. Every day, Hoka pushes the innovation and design of its footwear by teaming up with a deep roster of world champions, tastemakers, and everyday athletes. From finish lines to everyday life, Hoka fans love the brand for its bold and unexpected approach and its belief in the power of humanity to create change for a better world. Hoka empowers a world of athletes to fly over the earth. Shop their lightweight and cushioned shoes at your local REI or REI.com and follow along at Hoka One One on Instagram. It's time to fly. I've had a lot of portable speakers because I travel a lot and music is awesome. And the Sonos Roam is the best one I've owned. They sent me one this week, and not only is the design sleek and minimalistic, but the sound is so crisp and clear. It was easy to set up with my phone, and it automatically switches from Wi-Fi to Bluetooth wherever you go. It even tunes itself to your surroundings, so the sound is always clear and perfectly balanced like you're in your own recording studio, which is very cool for a podcast nerd like me. Best of all, this thing is durable and waterproof, so it will definitely be coming with me to the beach this summer. You can discover Sound Made Easy at Sonos, S-O-N-O-S dot com. Susan was really lucky to have a mentor like Carlos when she started on her athletic journey. It makes a huge difference to have someone to help you train, push you to your limits, and encourage you. But according to Susan, you don't have to be an expert 
or have one by your side to start. You just have to show up and do it. It may be sloppy and it may be imperfect, but you'll feel so accomplished and so proud of yourself when you finish whatever you set out to do, whether that's a neighborhood jog or even an Ironman. You've done really hard things. Any tips for people who are starting from scratch and want to do something like a triathlon or a marathon or just a 5K race and they don't know where to start? Yeah, so, you know, for, for beginners, my biggest tip is that um, you don't have to know exactly what you're doing. You don't have to be perfect. Um, you don't have to, you know, instantly take to you know, swimming like a duck to water. Um, you know, we have all of these ideas, right, about like, oh, well, I'm not really a runner or I could never do that. Um, nobody's expecting you to be perfect on your first try out, but we are expecting you to do the damn thing, um, you know, and just <laughs> sewing up really is the hardest part, right? Because sometimes we say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to train for the 5K, but then we don't actually do it. Um, you know, we get intimidated or, you know, we miss one day of training and we think it's all falling apart, right? Um, and so, so we quit. And that's really... The biggest thing that I see with beginners um, in, in the sport is as soon as they make one mistake or, or they have one hiccup, they think, okay, people are going to find out I don't know what I'm doing. Um, here's the truth. None of us know what we're doing. We're all making it up as we go along. We're all figuring this out. Um, what works for one person may not work for another. It's up to you to find out what works for you. Experiment. Have fun. If something doesn't work, try something else. Um, there is no one perfect way to do this thing, but you still should do it. You should still try. Um, because when you've actually done it, when you come out on the other side and you realize that you've done this in spite of yourself and because of yourself, um, that can feel so incredibly empowering. That's when you feel like the real badass. It's not that you crossed the finish line necessarily. It's that you had to overcome all of these other things to get there. And when you look back on that, it feels amazing. I could give you a hug through this um, First of all, computer because you're giving <laughs> such good advice that I, I need to hear right now. I'm doing something that you've done. I'm writing a book or trying to, and I have no idea what I'm doing, and it's hard and painful, and I want to quit every day. So thank you. <laughs> that is totally normal. I tell you, with both of my books, there were points when I was writing when I said, you know what, I'm just going to send the advance check back to my publishers and say, you know what, thank you for the opportunity, but I can't do this. This is not for me. Writing a book is hard, man. It really is. Um, because not only is it like the huge, like it's like eating an elephant, right? Like you look at that elephant and you're like, I have no idea how I'm going to be able to take all of this. Um, and really, it's one bite at a time. 
right? Um, and so when you think you have this whole overwhelming book to write, you know, you don't have to write the whole book right now, but why don't you sit down and just try to write a hundred words? Like, that seems more manageable, right? When you're done with that hundred, maybe see if you can do a hundred more. It's really no different than doing an Ironman, right? Like, you don't have to do the full 140 miles right the second, but you should probably try to make it one more mile and see how you feel. And then another. You're just stringing together all of these little bits until at the end you've done an Ironman, you've got a book, you're a badass. That's amazing. When you talk about running, I've read that you wrote, you like running slow. What does that mean? Does that mean you like running slow because you're physically slow? Or do you purposely like to go slow because you like to take in the sights? What What does that mean? Well... A lot of different things. I am slow. Like, I mean, it's just what it is. Um, I'm not super skinny, and I have asthma, so um, I'm not really, like, this balls-out type endurance athlete. Um, You will never see me qualifying for Boston or Kona. Um, That's not to say I haven't tried. There was a phase about halfway through my writing career where I started feeling like, okay, well, I do all this writing about endurance sports and I'm super slow so if people find out I'm slow they're not going to take me seriously I'm going to lose my credibility this is a common theme as you can see I'm really scared of losing my credibility um, because I build a lot of trust with my readers and so I thought okay well if people are going to take me seriously I need to be a fast runner because I, I sometimes write about like how you can become a better athlete so I thought no, I'm going to do this. I'm going to become fast. I am going to qualify for Boston. And so I set out to lose weight and get fast and become the so-called real runner. And it backfired on me so spectacularly that um, even to this day, I'm a little embarrassed by it. I became really grumpy. Uh, I was really tired all the time. I got injured and I stopped caring about running. Um, I had gotten so caught up in becoming a real runner that I actually just stopped liking running altogether. I, I hated it, actually. It was around that same time that I thought, well, I've got this whole border um, of races that I've kind of set aside over the years um, because they're not what real runners do. I was so focused on qualifying for Boston and becoming fast that um I would ignore press releases for things like a naked 5K in Tampa, Florida. Sign me up. Wait, talk to me about this. What other things did you ignore? Yeah, so every year I would get the press release for a naked 5K in Tampa, Florida that's held on a nudist colony. I also did a race that um, is in England and you chase a wheel of cheese down a hill. A wheel of cheese? Yes, and I love cheese, and I love gravity, so this was definitely my jam. And so... That um, sounds amazing. <laughs> it's basically the best thing ever. And actually, if you look online, um, you can you can watch videos of this race. It's called the Cooper's Hell Cheese Roll. Um, but I went and I did that race. Um, I also did things like my first 50-mile ultramarathon. Um, I did the rim-to-rim run across the Grand Canyon. I did all of these things that 
aren't your typical running experience. And um, I spent a year doing all of these different events. And at the end of the year, I looked back on all of these experiences that I had. And I realized that even though I spent the year doing unreal races, I had never felt more like a real runner in my life. Um, that was actually um, my, my second book, Running Outside the Comfort Zone. It's all about these different races that I did. So you can read about the Naked 5K um, in that book. But it was a really cool moment when I realized that I don't have to be fast in order to be a real runner. I don't have to try to set a PR every time. I run because I love running. I, I run because it's a beautiful day outside and I want to see where the trail takes me and how lucky am I to have this healthy body and the life within it to be able to go out and, and just enjoy that. And so I am now a slow runner by choice, um, but also by physiology. You know, running can be an intimidating sport. And I love that you're all about running for everybody and everybody. Tell me about that. Like, how can everybody and everybody get more into running? You know, I, I think first you have to want it. And, um, you know, I, I feel like some people view running as punishment or as, um, you know, uh, uh, something that you have to suffer through in order to, you know, lose weight or whatever it is. Um, and that doesn't have to be the case. Running can take so many different forms. If you want to run just because, you don't have to do a race if you never want a race. I feel like we get caught up in, like, this is what a runner should do. Like, they said, um, they should be able to run a 5K and under the time. And then um, the next step is to try to PR in the half marathon. And then they should qualify for Boston. Like, like we have this kind of checklist of what we all runners do. And I feel like COVID has kind of reminded us that, we don't have to have research in order to enjoy running. There are so many things we can do with running. One of my favorite experiences ever was doing the rim to rim of the Grand Canyon. Mm. And there was no medal at the finish line for me. Um, actually, there was really nothing at the finish line. Um, there was no victory moment there. But there was this deep satisfaction in being able to look at this huge hole and say, I was just ran across that. That's pretty cool. Running can take us places. Running can introduce us to people we never would have met before. Running can teach us things about ourselves that we may never have had the chance to even explore. It can build confidence. It can break us down. It can do all of these different things. And ultimately, running gets us what we need. Um, and if I sound a bit evangelical about it and I'm making you roll your eyes, I absolutely get that. Because if you had told me back, you know, 15 years ago when I was the pack-a-day smoker that I would be talking about running like this, I would not have believed you at all. And in a way, I think that kind of speaks to just how cool the sport can be because not only has it changed me physically and mentally, but it's given me this really amazing career where I get to travel the world and I get to tell stories for a living. And I'm not going to lie, this is the best 
job in the world. I love that. You know, I feel like there's these brands out there like Hoka One One who do a great job of showing us these people who are runners, but who aren't necessarily that runner stereotype we all have in our heads. I, I really support what Hoka is doing because the whole Humans of Hoka campaign has done such a good job of illustrating what real runners look like. Um, and it's not always the people that we see on the cover of the running magazine. We need more of that. We need so much more of that. And I've really made it um, my mission and my passion to go and find people whose stories are not told in, in those sports and to tell it in a way that is not um, your stereotypical, contrived, inspirational bullshit. Um, and I do that because I know what it's like to be the subject of inspirational, contrived bullshit stories. A lot of people want to make me out to be this inspirational deaf girl who overcame everything. And I can tell you right now, me being deaf is the least interesting thing about me. And so I, I take that same approach when I'm talking to, for example, a transgender female who is a writer. Um, the story is not necessarily about the transgender or the female part. It's about, you know, what other things are in your life? What do you love most about running? What are you turning for? What challenges have you overcome? And just letting people have the space to tell their story. The thing that we hone in on is often a footnote for the person who experiences that. And so I want to make sure that I give people the opportunity to represent the whole spectrum of who they are as a person and what they bring to endurance sports. I love how Susan frames her writing. Her goal is to show the whole person that she's writing about, not just one dimension of them. And she's good at it, partially because she knows what it's like when people latch on to one detail about you, even if it's not the one you identify with most. Susan is a runner, she's a writer, and she's a professor first. She's also deaf, but deafness is not the most interesting thing about her, not by a long shot. What's your relationship to your deafness and like, how, how do you want to talk about it? Yeah, you know, I haven't really spent a lot of time um, talking about being deaf until recently. And a lot of that had to do with the fact that I felt like I couldn't be deaf. I couldn't reveal that about myself um, because I already had this bit of imposter syndrome, right? Because I'm not really a writer. I don't really know what I'm doing. And so I... I was so scared at first that people were going to figure that part out. So I had to be perfect in every other way. And so I felt like if I revealed that I was deaf, that people would think that it somehow affected my ability to convey information to them accurately or that um, in, in a lot of cases, I guess, out in the world, when people find out that I'm deaf, they often assume that I also have a cognitive disability of some sort. So they make assumptions about my intelligence or my ability to function in day-to-day -day life. And so when they find out that I'm also a college professor, it really throws them because they don't normally associate a disability with intelligence in any way. 
And so I really felt like I couldn't talk about that part of me because it would discredit me somehow. So I really kind of tucked that away. And it wasn't so much that it was intentional. Like, I I wasn't trying to deceive anybody. It just never really came up. And I never really put it out there. But over time, I started telling these stories of other people in the endurance sports space who typically aren't represented. So, you know, you have people of color, for example. You have people who are gender non-conforming, people who uh, may wear traditional uh, religious garments when they race. Uh, I was telling all of these stories, and all of them were so authentic and so confident in who they were. And I realized that we created this mold of what the typical endurance athlete looks like, right? It's typically male. That person is typically very slim, very fit, very fast, very confident. So we we create this image of what an endurance athlete looks like. And when we have people who don't fit that mold, it throws us for a loop and we start to think that we don't belong. If we really want to create a sport where we're truly inclusive, where we can say anybody can do an Ironman, anybody can do a marathon. We have to back that up by saying actually anyone can, everybody can, um, and we have to put those stories out there. That means I also need to put my story out there. I need to put my voice out there. You don't typically hear my voice on podcasts, right? And so people don't think that deaf people can do triathlon. And I'm here to say, what do my ears have to do with what my legs are trying to accomplish? Of course I can do a triathlon. I've done several, many, actually. And my ears have never once stopped me from doing that. So my relationship to being deaf is pretty complex, but it's growing to a place where now I'm starting to realize that there's a lot of benefit to being authentic and to putting your stuff out there because it really does help other people to see that this world that we've created, what what an endurance athlete looks like, is not reality. When you go to a race, there's many different types of people, shapes, sizes, colors, abilities, and I want to see more of that, don't you? I 100% want to see more of that, and I bet you do too. Susan is out there breaking the mold. She's showing the world that being a runner isn't determined by your size, your race, your ability, or even your speed. All it takes is getting out there and putting one foot in front of the other. Susan, thank you so much for coming on the show and for showing us that anyone can be a runner. I personally had a blast interviewing you, so thank you for making me laugh so much. Susan has an amazing sense of humor. You can follow her on Twitter at Susan Lakey. That's S-U-S-A-N-L-A-C-K-E. And you can buy her books at your favorite bookstore or on her website, SusanLakey.com. Wild Ideas Worth Living is part of the REI Podcast Network. It's hosted by me, Shelby Stanger, written and edited by Annie Fassler, and produced by Chelsea Davis. Our executive producers are Paolo Motola and Joe Crosby, and our presenting sponsor this season 
is Ford. I have a new podcast I've been talking about. It's called Vitamin Joy. You can subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast. And you can find me on Instagram at Shelby Stanger. As always, we love it when you follow this show, when you rate it, and when you review it wherever you're listening. And remember, some of the best adventures happen when you follow your wildest ideas. 